Welcome. Welcome to everyone, of course. Anyone who's uh, new to meditation, and I don't mean it in a humble way, I mean really new to meditation. Okay, okay you know, you've braved the uh, weather forecast right now. <clears throat> I'm not sure what is true because uh, coming up, uh, before coming here, I was told it's blown over, everything's okay. A few loud sounds, a bit of uh, <clears throat> rain, and we're okay. Then coming over, someone was had a big eyes and was saying a roof was blown off in Worcester, and it's heading this way. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? <laughs> okay. So uh, if we spin out, we keep everything keeps going because you know just wherever we are, we'll just maintain your. Uh, but I have made some, uh, there are some uh, provisions that I've tried to make there, the best I can do. There's one person, the person who had big eyes, who's uh, keeping watch. And if anything turns out that we really, uh, something really uh, that is threatening is coming, the best place for us to go would be down in the basement and bring, I'm serious, bring a mat with you, bring your mat. Uh, and I'll lead the charge because I'll be the first one running the <laughs> Um, in a way, I hope it's true that I won't have to give the talk, but we'll see. Okay. <laughs> uh, the reason I say that is that um, a friend called me up this morning and said, do you realize that uh, you've given over the years many, many more than a thousand talks that are on tape? And he said, that doesn't include all the ones in the early years. We never taped anything. We just sit down and sit and just shoot our mouth off, and that was it. Now everything is packaged and becomes a book or a something. It becomes something. It uh, becomes a commodity of some sort. Um, now you'd think that I would burst with pride when I heard that. My goodness, I've given, I don't know, he said something like 15, that are on tape in different places. Uh, instead, it felt like somebody just put... Um, 1,500 pounds of rocks on my back. And my first impulse was, I think I'll go to sleep for about 10 years. <laughs> so um, I've recovered, but not completely. So all I can honestly say is there is a microphone, there's a speaker, there's an audience, but I don't know if there's a talk. <laughs> we'll, we'll soon find out. So I'm kind of scratching around. Ah, let's see. If nothing comes, we'll um, have a Q&A, uh, an abbreviated few words, and then a Q&A. Uh, I don't know many of you, but some of you, some of you who I do know, I think you'll probably agree with my own self-diagnosis. You know the phrase, uh, making a, how does it go again? A long story into a short story. I'm good at making a short story into a long story. Isn't that true? <laughs> Come on, those of you who know me, I'm very good. Just give me one word, and I'll just go on for 1,500 hours, you know, whatever it was. Uh, so let's see what happens. What I thought of is uh, lately um, so many of the questions in different contexts, not just here, different places where I've led retreats and here and practice groups and so forth, Whoop. Okay. Can you hear back there? Can. Good. Okay. Um, a lot of the questions seem to be um, having to do with the wish to find inner peace. Sometimes it's put in terms of the wish to find inner freedom. Um, the, the language, if you read a lot of Buddhist books, the words typically would be enlightenment or waking up, full awakening, or discovering, rediscovering really your original nature and so forth. But um, a lot of it seems to be, and I would say this is more something that we can all relate to. Can I have a show of hands. Some of you would like to have inner peace. Okay. 
Am I exaggerating if that means that you don't have it now? Otherwise, why would you want to have it? If you already have it, you wouldn't need to want to have it, right? So uh, I think it's common of the human race. Now, has it, is it worse than it's ever been? I don't know. Maybe not. If you read ancient texts, they were going crazy, too. They had just different ways of doing it to each other. So, but it may be. Things have gotten very fast and very busy. Um, and, you know, information is traveling at an extraordinary velocity, and the volume of information that we're all uh, now absorbing or want to absorb or would like to absorb uh, is reaching quite a level. Some of it's useful, very useful. Uh, but in terms of wisdom, I don't know. Um, if, if information, this is the information age, would save us, we don't really need any more information. We've had enough for a long time. So um, it seems like a ch one challenge is that some of the fact that we don't have inner peace is we've got too much information in our head and too many ways to fascinate ourselves, new little things coming out all the time. I, today I got something, I don't know what I, would you be part of my networkology? I don't know what it was called, but of course, I, I, to protect myself, my answer was no. Uh, so it's not that I'm against uh, developments in technology, hardly, because some of it is magnificent, but it seems like there's a tremendous imbalance, enormous imbalance, and right now it's a honeymoon phase new gadgets, new sources of information, some of it's spectacular. For example, just before coming over here, I just uh, went into my computer and on Google, just Boston area tornado precautions. And it came maps and diagrams and uh, videos of, of uh, newscasters telling in the Boston area with this area. And all. You know, there were at least 10. And if I, you know, if I wanted to go more, there were about... I don't know, 30 or 40 listings that I could have, all of them were telling me about what to do, what not to do, and where it is and where it's moving towards and so forth. Useful, very useful and impressive. So um, <clears throat> it seems though that no matter whether it's now or thousands of years ago, uh, it seems like we humans have longed for inner peace. Even when we have outer peace, that is whether we're officially or we're not at war, somehow inner peace seems lacking because some of the deepest developments in, uh, in inner work in ancient India and so forth um, have not come during wars. They've sometimes come during very prosperous times. The Buddha existed. It was complex, but India was very prosperous at that time. So um, what this inner peace, so there's a human longing for it, it seems, where to find it, how to get it. Um, where is this inner peace to be found? Uh, I heard today on the news, see, I'm, I listen to all this information too. I'm not speaking for Mount Olympus, I'm part of it to, to some degree, uh, that they did a, some kind of study and the least stressful place to live in the United States is Hawaii. Okay. Uh, of all the states, that's the lead. Number one, the lowest stress so if we all pack up and head for Hawaii, will everything be okay? <laughs> Tropical, nice, nice weather, beaches, beautiful water, people are, you know, coconuts, whatever. <laughs> uh, sounds good to me, but uh, probably not. Well, how about maybe Costa Rica? Maybe it's in Costa Rica. Maybe it's at CIMC. Do you think, is it here? Maybe it's here. That's why we came here. It is here? <laughs> well, I started this place. It isn't here. <laughs> Sorry. It's not here. Uh, maybe we need to get more things or get better friends or... If only this would happen or only that would happen, uh, then we would have inner peace. But it seems like we do have times which are relatively peaceful, and then they depart. And then, once again, there's a longing for inner peace. Now, I would say that many of us don't even know that that's what we want uh, because we're so busy going from here to there, from there to some other there, 
that we don't realize how frenzied our life is. And yet, much of it is unavoidable. There are a lot of things that have to be done, certainly in the modern world. I don't know what the ancient world was like. It seems, from descriptions, much simpler in many ways. But then again, it seems like the mind is perfectly able to make problems no matter how the outer conditions are. It is, the ego is brilliant at inventing ways to suffer. For example, it invented CIMC, so you're going to come over here and think that you can get peace here. And then when you don't get it, you badmouth me and Michael and Narayana and the Buddha. That was all, you know, maybe if we just look at him and get all teary-eyed, then we'll get peace. Uh, if we do enough hatha yoga, get a mat and a nice carrying thing and uh, sp- special leotards, you know, maybe then we'll get peace and do some of the right breathing. What do you think? Oh, I know what. Organic food with no, with no, what do you call it? Now everything says we don't have gluten. No gluten. Maybe if we all eliminate gluten and become vegans, then we'll have peace. What do you think? Probably not, huh? So where can we find peace? Where is peace to be found? Now, uh, one of the things after I recovered from the feeling of exhaustion, when I heard how much blabbing I've done over the last, I don't know how many years, uh, I did recover. Not completely, but I'm making a comeback right now. Uh, I realized that in a sense, everything I've been teaching, and I've gone through stages and phases, different techniques and methods, and uh, different uh, traveling here, this monastery, that retreat center, and so forth, on and on, like, you know, just a typical journey. Um, in looking back, I realized, certainly since I've been teaching, which is a while, it seems like mainly what I've been talking about boils down to this. Where can we find peace? in the same place that we can find sorrow. It's not somewhere else. See, but we don't want to be, we don't want to go to that place. We want peace to be like in Hawaii or some inner Hawaii. There is an inner Hawaii, but somehow in order to get there, you have to pass through whatever the, I don't know which was the most stressful state. Uh, They didn't say, they just listed the top five. What do you think, which will be the, I don't think, not not Massachusetts. Anyone have any guess? I have no idea. New York, let's say. Where? Michigan. Michigan might be. But I hear Ford Motor Company is making a comeback, smaller cars, cheaper, and people are starting to buy them. So then there will be more peace in Detroit and places like that. A little bit. Um, So that means uh, what... uh, there are lots of different techniques and method. Most of you know it. Those who are new, this may be new to you. There are wonderful qualities that can be cultivated, like loving kindness, like generosity, like equanimity. There are qualities which somehow we don't have in, in sufficiently. It's not sufficiently developed. Faith, etc. Uh, they can be cultivated. Um, there are methods like breath awareness, perhaps everyone's heard of breath awareness. That's been around for thousands and thousands, long before the Buddha. That's, the ancients knew all about the fact that if you become aware of your breathing uh, and learn how to just simply do that, just allow yourself to breathe and become aware of it and let everything else just happen, miracle of miracles, something happens and you feel a certain peace and a certain joy, um, I know that some of you have, have experienced that. Those of you who are new, see if it's true. Find out if it's true. Uh, we teach it here a lot. So, But the peace isn't found here. That, what I'm trying to say is not that CIMC is a hype and that you won't find it here. It's that when you come here, our job, at least I see my job, is to tell you that it's not here. I went to, there was one monastery in Japan where there was a sign and it said, what are you gawking at? It was in Japanese, it got translated. What are you gawking at? Don't you realize this is about you? Does everyone know what gawking is? So we're looking elsewhere a good deal of the time, maybe much of the time. 
it seems to me that the hardest part of practice and the hardest part of teaching is to find ways uh, to look at the, the place where the sorrow is. And I'm using sorrow in the most broad sense, if you want dukkha. And it, this is not to say that that same place, which is right here and now, it's no, no place else. It's your here and now. It's not, because it's, otherwise it's outside of you. Do you think you can find peace outside of yourself? Isn't that what we've been doing all along? Does it work? Granted, it's intelligent, even wise, to arrange your life in such a way so that it's fulfilling, that there's a certain amount of wealth, that you can, that your health is cared for, the body is cared for, relationships are cared for, and no one's denying that. But if we, if we uh, fixate on that, glock on to that, and think that that's it, people have been doing that for thousands of years. It's not unique to Buddhism. It's in every spiritual tradition has really seen this. Uh, the way the, this particular approach, Vipassana, and I would say uh, lots of Zen and some of the, and the Tibetan teachings, um, they're all different, many endless forms and techniques have, de- have developed. In other words, the Dharma is a living organism. It's not like even if you take the teachings of the Buddha, what we know of the original teachings of the Buddha, the Pali Canon, We don't know to what degree it was the Buddha because it was put together in some cases hundreds of years after the death of the Buddha. And then other things were added even later than that. But it's the best we can do. Okay, so let's say the best we can do as as far as reconstructing the original teachings of the Buddha, let's say that's in the Pali Canon. He gave more talks than I did, so if you, uh, but I didn't tape it fortunately. Well, no, it'd be nice if they did, because then we know what he really said. Like, you're wasting your time with me. It's about you. Okay. Um, if you study what happened to that, those teachings, the original teachings, it's not something fixed. Even if you stay within uh, just Southeast Asia, let's say where it's in Burma and Thailand, where it used to be anyway, in Laos and Cambodia, uh, some of it has made its way to Vietnam. And, of course, as it moved throughout Asia, um, it took on a different character. It, it's alive. It's breathing. Uh, Dharma practice is not some static. It's not a, a, a book as to how to assemble a vacuum cleaner. Uh, these are guidelines to living. Even one of the things I know a little bit about is the a sutra the Buddha gave on breath awareness, Anapanasati. Many of you know that one. It's a a staple in the Buddhist teaching. Using the breath not only to enable the mind to be steady and calm, we call that samadhi when it gets fair, then it's it's able to then look at itself and and for insights to come out of that clear seeing. Um, So there are, uh, these are, there are four main categories there, uh, uh, that the Buddha lays out, and they're excellent translations. To me, a lot of it, m- much of it, uh, is the translators, there's no disagreement. People agree with what it means in English. It's the best we can do. Um, when I became very interested in this particular sutra, which is a method using the breath not only to get calm, most people think of it as just a way to get calm and steady, and then you move on to, to other things but to then continue to use the breath. In other words, by befriending the breath, the breath then becomes a friend for you and you bring it into to help you look at what we don't want to look at, like sorrow. Because these are places we don't want to look at. Maybe breathing at the same time that we look at sorrow can help us do that. For some people it does, for some it doesn't. Okay, so when I, I became very interested in this, fell in love with it, and I, I wanted to, well, who are the best teachers in the world for it? Uh, looked like I was trying to get a second PhD. One wasn't enough. So I, try, I have a PhD. I'm, I guess I'm, uh, is that bragging? Probably, probably. <laughs> okay. Uh, what I was trying to say is I researched it, and I went with, there, uh, uh, one, a person from Burma who had been doing it for 30 years. He'd been in the jungle doing just this for a long time with different teachers. And then uh, a Vietnamese master who you probably all know, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. And there are certain Zen traditions where the breath and the posture are used. It's very, very similar. 
and in Thailand, Buddha Dasa and Ajahn Lee, and I won't mention all the names. And each one that I spent time with to learn what they knew was so different from the others that I, I was in wonderment. Are they all reading the same sutra? Well, when we, did the, when we compared notes on the English language, they agreed on it, but then their, their way of relating to it, of extracting some meaning, some guidance, some help, was so different, and that's what I concluded. Well, if they can be that different, I've been doing it pretty long myself, then I think I'll put mine out. So that's what I did. I just put mine out. It's not, I'm not saying it is the way, it's a way. So if you follow the Dharma as it moves throughout Asia, and now it's come to the West, it's a living organism. It breathes, and sometimes, you know, fundamentalists will, uh, literalists in every religion, uh, will just say, this is what the Buddha really meant. Everything else is uh, nonsense, blasphemy, a waste of time. I doubt it. I doubt it. Because what you see is some extraordinary developments, and uh, there's no reason why they can't continue here. And so what's happening now, we're in a very early stage of this being developed. And so uh, there was a realization that there are endless techniques and methods, but all of them finally, finally, their mantras and koans and uh, cultivated you know, metta phrases and visualizations walking meditation without even, I can tell you 10 or 15 without even hesitating. Um, ways to sit, endless. Okay, so uh, they're all, though, when you come down to it, seem to come to, this is my interpretation of it, many people might not agree, come down to different ways to help us develop the capacity not only to pay attention, because probably all of us are good at paying attention in certain realms, whatever, you're, whatever you love to do right now. It could be cooking, dance, carpentry, doesn't, your work. But it's a rare person who loves to look inside, really a rare one. Am I, uh, I include myself. I mean, I do now, but I had to be dragged kicking and screaming to finally wean me from where I was good at being sensitive and watching and learning, which is everything other than the workings of my own mind and heart. So what I saw was, um, where is peace to be found? In the same place as sorrow. I, I wish there, were, there was a shortcut for all of us. Now, there's no question that if you follow the breath, let's say a mantra, mani padme, temporarily you'll get very, very concentrated, become absorbed, and temporarily there will be a certain kind of peace. There's no question about it. It's lawful. Millions of people have done it for thousands of years. But it's temporary. What's happened is all the things that are intimidating that we are, have been avoiding, they go into abeyance. They kind of, you know, all right, give the guy a break. You know, he's doing that old money, pardon me, old money, pardon me. Uh, let's go have a beer while he's doing that. <laughs> because at some point, he's, it's going to come to an end. He can't keep doing that for the rest of his life. And then we'll come back, and we're as healthy as ever, ready to go. Okay, but the temporary peace that we get, and, and the breath can be used that way as well, has value even a temporary, a respite from all the, the afflictions that inhabit our consciousness is uh, deeply appreciated. It's on a physical level, the nervous system, all the biological functioning of the body benefits from it. Just, I know a little bit more about the breath. There are a lot of health benefits that come from just conscious breathing. We don't um, emphasize that in Vipassana practice or even in Zen practice because then people become preoccupied with living forever. And no matter how, you could follow the breath without missing one breath for the next thousand years. Well, you won't live that long to find out. But uh, so there's a, there are limitations. Okay, so there are, there are limitations. And the, but the kind of peace that you get, it's temporary, it's fragile, and it's dependent on temporarily everything else not being dealt with, really, but going into abeyance. There's a fresh resurgence of energy. We feel ready to go again. 
uh, we're kinder, we're more generous. A lot of good qualities come from it. But as far as I can tell, uh, real silence, the silence that I'm talking about, because I've done that, and it's great, and then suddenly uh, Larry is back from his beer. I don't drink beer, really, but, you know, so to speak, I'm trying to be a regular guy here. <laughs> I actually, you know, I'm a health fattist and all that stuff. Not quite vegan, but almost. Um, so there's another kind of peace that doesn't come from uh, temporary absorption in something else. It's not that different, although it's much more profound expression of the same tendency that you see in children. Because I watch my granddaughter, and sometimes she's very mischievous, and just give her a new toy, and suddenly she's a great kid again until she gets bored with the toy. And then it's like she doesn't miss a beat. She's back to exactly where she was before that. So what are we going to do, keep giving her new toys? Well, that's sort of what we do do in life. Not do-do, but, you know. <laughs> I think it's the heat, too. It's not all those talks I gave. They're over with, you know, but uh, who knows. Uh, at any rate, so temporarily, she's happy. And we have endless ways of doing that, a good film, etc. Making love. Sometimes the, uh, f f uh, the, the, a, uh, an intimate sexual exchange between two partners is the, one of the reasons it's so desired is temporarily you forget yourself, even if it's just for a few minutes. And there's just whatever. Now, the mind may make up, oh, this is a conquest. I did this. I did that. And, you know, and have images of the other person. That but that's all extra. So there are many ways in which we temporarily can make life much more enjoyable and livable. And those are good. The beauties of nature. No, no one's minimizing that. But is there something else? Now, what is being maintained by, in Dharma teaching, there is. So if it's so, remember, you don't, I'm not asking those of you who are new to believe me or those who have been around, coming here to believe me. What I am saying is, finally, profoundly, if you want inner peace, it's in the very same place that sorrow is. Sorrow in the broadest sense, whatever it is that we humans don't like. Okay. Um, that means, and that's what real wisdom is. It, wisdom doesn't come from just being concentrated. Not at all. Uh, wisdom comes from facing ourselves as we are. And as we see deeply into that same, into the sorrow, remember I'm using that in a, in a, a very, very broad sense, which is the same place where, where I, I'm, it's being maintained that that's where real peace is, something happens, but the seeing has to be of a certain quality. The seeing has to be of a certain quality. Whereas if you just walked in on the street today and said, all right, I'll be mindful. Oh, here's sorrow. I'm mindful of it. It's still here. Of course it is. The sorrow has been built up over a lifetime. Some would say many lifetimes. I have no clue. I don't know. If I've been here before or what happens when I check out of this place, I honestly don't know. But I do know that we had enough wounds in this life. We don't need a past life or a future life. We do. It's evident. We've all been hurt. Or why would we be here? Okay. So then we start to realize the, how important, in a way, CIMC does have a little bit to offer you, more than I thought, actually. Come to that. Because we need to develop a certain quality of seeing that uh, is beyond what people normally have, what people normally have. Um, two days ago, I went for a checkup, my dentist, and um, he asked me how things were for about, I don't know, six months or so. I said, fine, everything's fine. He said, well, we'll find out. And they took a few x-rays, and then they have these beautiful screens. I could see teeth were right in front of me, you know, the, and I saw my teeth and my gums. And I said, well, how does it look? And the dentist said something. He said, well, teeth can't speak. Teeth don't talk. I said, oh, that's right. So he said, but then I saw, but they do give off information, right? And he said, yeah, of course they do. And I said, the fact that you went to dental school, you can see certain things. I just see these shapes. 
and they look nice. It's bright here. It's a little be nice if that was straighter, but it isn't. You know, that's that. And he said, yes, of course, and experience. We see, uh, we now have equipment. He said, our x-rays weren't this good when I first started dental school. He's been around for probably as long as I've been doing this. Okay. Um, hmm. So I realized how important seeing is. Now, when you go into the sciences, medical science, the breakthroughs have been extraordinary, not just let's say, microscopes for research, uh, electronic microscopes, but all these new ways of looking into the body and filming of it, extraordinary. And if you're interested in the cosmos, the power of my, of telescopes now, whew, staggering what they can do. I saw something on GBH or Channel 2, whatever. Um, so I realized that in that field, they, with the, the naked eye is not adequate as it is. They can't see that much. Now, some people intuitively seem to have come to conclusions which now are being verified by uh, astronomy. And some people have, uh, how, do the, how did the ancient uh, Ayurvedic and uh, acupuncturists thousands of years ago, how do they know where all this energy was? They didn't have machines. How do they do that? Uh, I don't know. I can only speculate. I think they started to look at the body. They started to pay attention. They started to feel it. They started to see connections between this and that. And their minds became very still in certain ways so that they were, their, their minds were more fit to perceive. Their ability to perceive uh, in a refined way with some real depth improved. And now there's all kinds of research which backs up a lot of it, the fields of energy that flow and so forth. So I realize it's the same for us. That's what, uh, in meditation, the difference is um, if, you're in, uh, if you're in astronomy, you're, uh, you're the observer and there's a, a, uh, these magnificent telescopes and you're, what, you're looking out there. You're looking at a field that's out there. Uh, same with a microscope. There's a, something outside of you. Here, we're everything. We're the instrument that does the seeing with that which is seen. We're learning how to become aware of ourselves. So that ability to see, uh, how do we equip that? So it's sort of the inner version of an electronic, hey, you know, a talk is coming. It's, it's here. Buddha must be watching over me. I really didn't think I had anything to say tonight. I don't know if it's much of a talk, but I'm doing my best, cranking it out, you know. Um, so, for example, when you follow the breath or any, whatever your method may be, I'm not, I'm not promoting breath as the way. Uh, and some of you have been practicing for a while. You must know this. Something changes. We, can let, we see that the quality of seeing, uh, of experiencing, of being more sensitive, of being more accurate um, in, internally uh, starts to improve. Uh, if you haven't seen that, you will. Now, these talks, self-knowing, what, learning how to live, self-knowing in action. Okay. All, we have to start where we are. And a lot of what we, in learning about yourself, uh, you, by living in, through relationships, work, nature, everything. Um, but as the mind becomes a more sensitive instrument, it becomes more accurate. And to begin with, there's separation. In meditative seeing is a little different than the others where uh, maybe finally it isn't. But there's an observer known as the meditator. We all start there. We're learning a new skill, how to become mindful of the breath, how to become mindful of bodily sensations, how to become mindful of the mind itself, looking directly into the mind. Okay. Um, we're learning how to do that. Okay. Now, as we learn how to do that, um, as you know, challenges come up because some of the things that surface, in, if it's correct, at the same place that, we, that uh, real peace emerges is where the sorrow is. It's not somewhere else. So in this sense, it's rather convenient. I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to get at. Um, the field is, in a sense, narrow. Uh, now, uh, the learning, even when we're learning about how to live, because that's what the talk is. I'm trying desperately to connect with the title of the talk. 
Um, I think I'm almost there, but I'm not sure. Uh, you learn how to live by living and paying attention to the consequences of living. You speak a certain way. You act a certain way. You do this. You do that. You care. You eat certain foods. You whatever. And if you pay attention, you, life itself is teaching all the time. The lessons are self-evident. They're right there. But you have to. The, the curriculum is all set, but no one. Very few people are signing up for the course. Okay. So, to begin with, let's say our ability to detect, uh, to see accurately as we enter into life, to learn about ourselves and to see what needs to be unlearned because it's damaging and it's not working. What needs to be, uh, and when we start unlearning, a lot of what uh, Dharma meditation practices is unlearning. It's not addition, it's subtraction. We're learning how to, it's mostly, it's subtraction actually. Finally, it's all subtraction. Let it look. Okay, but we want we want to accumulate. Our mind has been programmed. We want to accumulate more and more and more, and that will make us happier. Um, okay, so to begin with, we start to learn as best we can. We use the mind that we have. Let's say someone encourages us, as we do here. We started the center in the midst of of uh, who would start a meditation center in Central Square? It just makes no sense except at the time it did because the needs of people have changed. We're not monks and nuns. There are uh, many, many people who are lay people, who have busy lives, you know, who are sincerely interested in doing this. And if so, we have to learn how to live in the midst of what gets people very often to go off to the forest or the jungle or a mountaintop or become a monk and a nun. And that can be a very, very useful approach, a very useful strategy for some. You just, at least temporarily, get away from all the, let's just say, madness. Uh, but that isn't our path. We do it periodically. If you really take to this, you'll see you probably will want to do periodic retreats even each day, a bit at home. But you might want to go away for extended periods of time. As I look around, some of you have already done that. And you know its benefit. But inevitably, you have to return. So the sooner we get that message that we learn that we have to learn how to live this life in this place at this time being me. This dharma is a here and now dharma. It always has been a here and now dharma. It always will be a here and now dharma because that's what we have. Okay, so we do our best to assess as we live and learn if you're committed to this. And wisdom grows out of, a lot of it grows out of foolishness. We see how we harm ourselves and harm others. And some people are willing to learn from their mistakes, and some are not. Okay. If you're here, I assume you care about the quality of your life, that you care about the quality of the lives of people who are in your life. So uh, we do the best we can. But as the ability to see, and it isn't just developed sitting, it can be developed at all times, but let's say one to begin with, it's, and, and really perhaps forever, it's very, very helpful to devote some time, I would suggest each day, where you have no responsibilities, where you just sit in silence to be with yourself. I don't see that as a luxury item. Um, maybe it once was, but it certainly isn't now. Before you enter the maelstrom of what's going on, just simply to sit with yourself experiencing the breathing, what emotions come up, and so forth. And then uh, as we learn how to do that, and as the seeing gets clearer, clearer means more accurate, more depth, and the separation between the observer, meaning the meditator. Now, I'm going to say something that the new people may think I should be hospitalized for, but uh, I sincerely mean it. Real deep meditation begins when you kill the meditator. The meditator is the problem because the meditator is the ego trying to be non-ego. Well, we have to start somewhere, and it's unavoidable. The Buddha was a brilliant teacher. He knew that. He didn't try to take that away. So the observer, me being watching my breath, at a certain point naturally that separation starts to wither away, fall away, and can be encouraged in certain practices. You'll hear fancy names not quite as frequently as uh, non-glutinous, but now I see a lot of uh, dualistic and non-dual. Have you heard that? It's growing. 
it's not going to catch up with gluten and all that. <laughs> or, 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 but uh, more and more people, if it's dualistic, bad. Non-dual, all oh, profound, deep. <laughs> okay. But if we throw the um, associations out, uh, deep seeing is deepest when that sense of me doing the looking, now this is about inner looking, when that falls away and there's no separation, uh, then there's no separate observer who typically is in conflict with what is being seen because sometimes we don't like it, we want to go here, we want to go there, it, you want to get rid of this, you want that to stay longer. So there's that kind of struggle. Uh, when there's just an open surrender to the way it is, and that is something that grows naturally, you're still a person. You don't have, it's not a prefrontal lobotomy. It, it's just that now there's an enhanced depth to the seeing and the experiencing of. For all I know, some of the great scientific breakthroughs come that way too. Maybe the scientist fades away, and then even though it's through electronic equipment or whatever, Maybe something becomes clear or new discoveries are made. Maybe all creativity has something to do with this. I don't know. But I do know in this, it goes that way. When we're able to see more and more clearly, and this is within the reach of all of us. I'm not talking about <clears throat> something that's beyond the moon. Well, I don't know. Ask yourself this for this moment. Do you feel that inner peace is possible for a human being? So, often people go, yes, I do. But down deep, they don't. They don't feel it. Or it's not possible for me. I've just accumulated too much, too much emotional de debris. There's just too many challenges that I can't seem to uh, overcome or deal with. Um, if you conclude that, you just finished yourself off. In other words, the mind has just set a limit to what it thinks it can, uh, where it can be. And then it's a self-fulfilling kind of thing. So in clear seeing, all of these notions about who you are, who this is, who that is, that all goes away. And there's just naked, fresh awareness. Naked, fresh awareness. Intimate. And it's not, it's not from yesterday's mind. It's the clear seeing. Now, I don't know. When a dentist looks at the x-rays, sometimes perhaps their experience gets in the way. I don't know. I hope it didn't this time because he said I'm doing okay, no cavities. But I have a hunch that really even when you're looking at x-rays of teeth, if you can really be fresh and right there with it, you're, you, like he saw a slight chip on one tooth and so then did something for it. Now, the stakes we're dealing with have to do with ourselves. And for those of you who are new, people who are new to, to meditation, often you conclude that this seems to be narcissistic. It's all about me, me, me. That would be a misuse of meditation because the degree to which we move in the direction of sanity, that's what we bring to all the people in our life. That's what we bring to life. You can't give people something you don't have. You can do an impersonation, pretend you're nonviolent, pretend you're generous, pretend you're humble. It's not the real thing. It's cardboard or plastic. So the genuine thing, so I'll just leave it here. Uh, I'm just grateful that I got this far. <laughs> Is where can peace be found? Uh, in the same place as, as sorrow. And it's convenient if you get that. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy because apparently we have a lifetime of habit habit energy that does not, it always prefers someplace else other than where, than here. The, the great fantastic past, there's a film out, it's the latest Woody Allen film. Anyone see it? At any rate, it's uh, Paris After Midnight. And in the film, you know, it's, I'm not saying it's a great film or that you have to see it, but uh, this particular person Loved the 20s when all F. Scott Fitzgerald and all the writers were there and painters and Paris, you know, and dancing. And, uh, and he had some incredible notion as to what Paris was in the 20s. And when he'd go out and take walks, he was about to get married, but he would take walks and his fiancée would go to sleep. And he would take walks and at, at midnight it would turn into the 20s. 
and Toulouse Trek would be there and uh, Hemingway would be there and everyone would be there and and what he was and it, what it was showing was the only play, place he could be happy was in his mind when he made up a reality that he turned the 1920s into now he was talking that way even before this happened uh, he was with his fiance who was kind of saying parish maris you know and he was uh, he was uh, saying well this is the place where all the great things went on he says yeah that's true i see a lot of buildings it's okay let's go shopping you know or something like that um but the message was very interesting so sometimes we prefer uh, a past that the mind has recreated the past remember was just someone's present it was just like this okay and even more so, we can make up a future that's a nightmare or that's extraordinary. The mind is shameless. It has incredible creative power. It can make up whatever it wants to. And then we, like dogs running after a bone, we believe in it. Duh. Somehow we prefer that or that. And this is saying peace is here. It's not there. It's not where you where it was. It's not before and it's not after. It's, there's only now. So the job of Dharma practice, my job, is to you know, use humor, a little of this, makeup. I say the same thing all the time. Some of you admit it, don't I? But uh, people, we all need a lot of novelty in the modern world. So I have to package differently, get different names for the practice groups. And I'm, I'm, I had enough, had enough of... Uh, learning how to live, self-knowing in action. I think I've given around 40 or 50 talks on it. How many more? So I've made up some other titles. I don't remember them, but they'll appear in, this, in the uh, fall. And same stuff. Don't, don't be fooled by it. It's just a different, different labels. Okay. Because all I have to say, finally, I'll do whatever I can to get us, including myself, I'm not saying I've mastered it, is I'd like to be at peace. And... Uh, I have found that the, the where, where is peace to be found? It's in the same place that sorrow, trouble is to be found. And it's convenient because it shrinks. It's not you have to go running anywhere. It's not in India. It's not in the Himalayas. Just go there and you'll see. There are people like us. That's where, wherever you go, you're going to find people. Sorry. They love their children, and they don't have enough money. They have too much money. They're, you know, getting sick, they're getting old. They're, you're this religion, I'm that religion. Let's kill each other. You know, <laughs> uh, find out who the real God is. Okay, uh, I better. <laughs> I, I very easily drift off into wrong speech, what is called politically incorrect. My natural nature is politically incorrect. So I'm, I'm on good, on my best behavior whenever I walk into 331 Broadway, believe it. Okay. Uh, anything we can talk over together? Anything on your, yes, please. Why not? Yeah, um, there. You see, um, that, that's a very good question, and there's no one answer to it because, for me, so you're only getting my answer. Um, if you ask me, am I, am I a Buddhist? And some, many people here will be disappointed, and some will be relieved. I'm not. Now, if you mean by that an affiliation, an identity. I don't know when the holidays are. I don't know what this gesture means or what that gesture means or uh, where the Buddha was born, where he, uh, you know, this all. I've read it a thousand times. Okay. But I I think it's a brilliant guide to living. And so I've been doing my best to understand it and to put into action, and I found it to be extraordinarily helpful. Now, I would say the core of this teaching is universal. Has it picked up cultural stuff along the way? Absolutely. Then that would make Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism very different than Buddhism. And if you read the world religions, they're endlessly arguing about what I would consider the, ex- the fluff. You know, the, the, now, I've worked with, uh, when I, I spent 10 years in Zen, some of it in Japan, 
they were Catholic priests who were practicing Zen, who had done beautifully. Uh, personally, I could, I don't care. In other words, and, and many, many people who are pious Jews who come here. I mean, they, they go to synagogue and so forth. And I, we talk about the practice. I have no interest in turn, converting anyone to anything. Now, if you want to be a Buddhist, if that's something that's, that warms your insides and it's helpful, I don't undercut that. Why not? You know, we have all these ridiculous identities that we take on that don't work. This one may be a better one. Uh, but, you know, you've heard, it's really a high teaching, but people use it as if it, they know what they're talking about. If you meet the Buddha on a n narrow path, kill the Buddha. And so people, they, that means you don't have to practice. We're already enlightened. That's nonsense. Are we already enlightened? Now, what they're saying is everything you need is inside, and it's obscured. Uh, what they mean is the concept of the Buddha. Okay, so uh, could you maintain your Christian faith and pr some practices? I don't know the answer, but uh, let's say if you do just breath awareness. Have you done some breath awareness? Okay, that gives you energy, doesn't it? Doesn't it calm the mind? And then if you wanted to, look, um, I, believe it or not, um, I got a letter from a monk from Math Mount Athos. Uh, I think it's Greek Orthodox similar to Russian Orthodox and so forth. And he's doing the Jesus prayer. And keying it, they do that there a lot, and keying it to the breath. And he, he, he read about all the Buddhist approach to that, and he wrote to me, and uh, we had a perfectly good exchange. I mean, he really understood it, and I understood what he was saying. I just don't say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on my soul as I breathe in and out. Okay, so can it help you do, do Christian? It can. It can also create a, an immense conflict. Am I Christian? Am I Buddhist? I don't know what to do. I'll come here. No, this is no good. I'll run to church. Oh, no, I go to church, but they, there's too much of this nonsense. And all. I'll run back to CIMC. It's a no-nonsense, low-budget place. You know. Okay. You see what I'm getting? So I think it depends on you. But in principle, I don't see personally see a problem. It should help you enhance your uh, your Christian practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.